morning. Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Psalms, the Psalter. And while you're turning to Psalm 131, a couple of things for you. Um, want to give you an update on our elder sabbaticals. So every four to five years in our Constitution, you have told us, elders, you need to step down for a year, take a year off. So we are abiding by that. Uh, Joel Malasin will be returning from sabbatical as an elder uh, here this month. And Doug Sims will be stepping away as an elder uh, for a year uh, this month. So they'll be kind of trading places. So just want to make you aware of that. Um, also, Trevor Schubert, our associate pastor, and his family are on sabbatical, and they will be returning in a couple weeks. It's already been like three months. It's crazy. Um, but they sent an update, and I wanted to read it to you guys. Um, Trevor wrote it, so there's a lot of exclamation points. I'll try to capture those. <laughs> we want to thank all at West Center who have so generously sent us out on sabbatical this summer. What a blessing to have the time and receive the gifts we did before we left. We're also grateful for the ways people have stepped up to serve in our absence. We are feeling rested and refreshed and are eager to be back with our church family soon. Thank you for your love and kindness. To God be the glory. Love the Schuberts. So we keep praying for them and we're looking forward to having them back in a couple weeks. Let's read the text together. Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. God of peace, Father, Son, Spirit, for those who are in Christ, and have been brought in by grace alone into the new covenant, there is no reason for us to fear. There is no reason for us to be anxious. There is no reason for us not to be living in perfect peace because you are faithful to all of your promises to us. They are all yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And yet, Lord, we are not in perfect peace. We worry and fret. We are harried and distracted. We live frenetic lives, if not externally, certainly internally. And we ask your forgiveness for this so often is pride. Pride in our hearts where we think we need to be in control. We think we are the solution. We think it's up to us. And although we may not consciously say it, Lord, we are dethroning you and enthroning ourselves. And for this great sin of heart against you, affront to your character, 
we ask your forgiveness. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have your forgiveness full and free because of your death and resurrection. That anxious people now, by the Spirit's power and by the power of the cross, can become content, calm, peaceful people. For we have vertical peace with the Father through you, and thus we can have horizontal peace with one another and in ourselves, in our own minds and hearts. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would apply this beautiful psalm to us today, that you would wean us off of worry and uh, into, Lord, a life of trust. And I pray especially, Holy Spirit, for our young people who are more anxious perhaps than they've ever been, that the, the time that we live in, the digital age, the modern age, it's difficult to be young. It's always been difficult, but it's more difficult now because we have so many things that provoke, even physically provoke, anxiety. I just pray your protection over them, Lord. I pray that you would give them wisdom to turn away from those things that are not providing and provoking and producing peace in their life. They're just producing fear, anxiety, depression. Give them strength to be different. Give them strength to trust you. Some need to be freed from addiction, Lord, to phones, to tablets, to devices. I pray that you would free them, that they would be free indeed in the Son, and that, Lord, those things could be used moderately, sparingly as tools, or maybe not at all, but that we would not be enslaved to them. For they are not helping us, they're hurting us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that work, that you would pour out your mercy. And now help us to turn to you in worship with expository ears to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll just tell you up front, I love this psalm. I love it. Uh, it has helped me. Um, it has been a light to me in, in dark moments. And uh, so it, it's a personal favorite of mine, and I am very thankful it's in the Bible. It's one of the shortest psalms, brief and beautiful. Spurgeon said of Psalm 131, it is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. And the learning is this, how do we move from pride to peace? How do we move from frenetic control of our life to quiet trust? How do you abandon yourself and receive God himself? That sounds good, doesn't it? Oh my goodness, does that not sound good? Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want this? I do. I do. I keep coming back to it. Just, Lord, please, more. Help me. Carrie and I saw it on a plane a couple of weeks ago, just a visual picture of this psalm. 
Um, we're getting on the plane. We're standing in line. You know, when it's backed up and you're kind of waiting. We always get on the plane last. We're like, why are we going to go sit on the plane? Just let's sit out here and talk. And so we're, wa- we're waiting in the line on the plane. And you're, you're people watching, you know, but trying not to look like you're people watching. Just kind of like, you know. And we see this family and this mother uh, with, with a few kids, and she has a baby, and the baby is just going nuts, screaming, crying, clearly hungry. Moms, you know what that's like. It's like wrestling a live bear, hungry baby who drank a Red Bull. And it's not peaceful. It's, it's just chaos in this seat. And she's trying to wrestle him down, and it's just loud, and we're thanking God that we're sitting in the back of the plane and not the front of the plane. And then the contrast with the other two kids, they're just sitting there, not moving, not flailing, not talking, on either side of her, reading a book, calmly. They didn't even have headphones on or a a device. It was like, you know, just beautiful. They're calm. They're quiet. Why? Because mom is right there. They have nothing to be concerned about. The baby, on the other hand, is very concerned. Where is my next meal going to come from? Who's going to feed me? I need to let you know. I need to scream in your face and panic because I'm not sure where the next meal. But the other two kids, they trusting mom. We don't have to get upset. We don't have to worry. She's right here. She'll take care of us. That's a picture of Psalm 131. Moving from panic mode to the maturity of peace. Because you know God. He is your Father. Jesus loves you. You know that. And this is the, the Christian life, guys. This is what our whole life is unto glory, is, is being weaned. You're all being weaned off of a life of worry and control and fear into a life of peace and trust and rest. That's what's happening. That's what God's doing. He doesn't want you living your life with this feeling, if I don't hold it all together... It's going to fall apart. He doesn't want that for you. He wants you to know, I belong to the Father and He will take care of me. He has promised and proven through Jesus Christ that He will do that. That's what the cross tells you. That's what the empty tomb tells you. You don't have to hold it all together. He will for you. It doesn't mean passivity. It means stillness of heart. It doesn't mean a lack of thoughtfulness. It's a quiet mind. Show of hands, how many of you have known or know a Christian in your life who just has a sense of peace about them? Raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah. That's encouraging. The kind of person where you're just around them and it makes you more at peace, like you just calm down. Have you had that feeling? Just like I like being around that per- this person because like I was having a bad day, I was stressed out, and now just like 
I mean, they could get the worst news you can imagine, terrible news, and they're not going to go into panic mode because their trust in God is too deep. It would affect them, absolutely, but they're not going to panic because they trust God deeply. They've walked with God deeply. They know God deeply. That's what God wants for all His kids. So that person that you're thinking of, that's who He wants you to become, like that, like Jesus. Calm, at peace, doesn't matter what's going on. That's possible. So, two points today. Pride and peace. Carrie's like, pride and prejudice? No, it's pride and peace. This is the basic contrast within the psalm. Pride versus peace. So, verse 1. Start with pride. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. So, let's do a little exegetical work here. Stay with me. The same Hebrew word that is used here for lifted up is used in Proverbs 16.5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart, same Hebrew word, is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. The word for raised too high could be translated haughty. So we have arrogant in heart, we have haughty. The word for occupy myself is actually the Hebrew word halak, which means to walk. It's like your walk. Like we would say, how's your walk with the Lord? It's, it's your way of life, your walk. So the psalmist is saying, my day-to-day life is not occupied with things beyond me. Are you getting the picture? Getting the sense of what he's saying? He's, he's fleeing pride. That's the sin he's fleeing. Maybe it's David. His heart doesn't think he knows it all. His eyes aren't trying to see things too mysterious for him. He recognizes there's mystery. He's walking with God within the bounds of his small sphere of responsibility. Just this little circle. I'm going to walk within that. I'm not going to walk out of that. And guys, when you live like that, What do you know? You're at peace. Shocker. John Calvin commented on this psalm, The arrogant never accept that by submitting to God, they could enjoy the full assurance of a life of peace. So the connection is between a sense of arrogance, a sense of I got this, and a lack of peace submitted, humble heart, trusting God, peace. So let's flesh that out a little. How do you practically flee that kind of pride? Before we get to peace, let's talk about pride. Three things. First, it means having convictions, but walking humbly. Having convictions, but walking humbly. It is not prideful to think deeply, study the Bible, consult wise people, come to deep convictions, especially about things of first importance. That is humble. That is good. That is wise. But if you kind of think, and maybe you wouldn't say it, that you're never wrong, that's a problem. 
you'll never have a life of peace. If you kind of think, you know what, I, you know, I see it, and all these other people don't see it, and I'm going to bless them with my wisdom and opinion uh, as often as I can, whether they want, want it or not. It's okay not to be an expert at everything. It's okay not to have an opinion on everything. It's okay uh, to answer a question, I'm not sure, even to your kids. That will teach them something. It's okay and really good at times to be corrected. As hard as that is for us, it's good. And you can be a confident person. You can be confident in the Lord, but you have this posture of heart where, you know what? I might be wrong. I don't see everything. I'm not God. Even, okay, everybody has blind spots. Everybody, everybody, even the great theologians that we think very highly of, they will get to heaven, and the Lord Jesus, in perfect love, will tell them, here's where you got it wrong. That will happen to all of us. We know it will happen to our Presbyterian, Reformed, and Lutheran friends when it comes to baptizing babies. They will be told, you are wrong, it's fine. It's fine, we still love them. We do. If, if, if I'm wrong on that, I'm going to ask Jesus for a very thorough explanation. Jesus, just exegete it for me, okay? Because I thought I was, I was pretty sure I was right. Help me understand how I was wrong. A Christ-like heart acknowledges its fallibility. I don't think anyone would say they know everything, but sometimes we live that way. It comes out, the heart can't hide. Second, fleeing this kind of pride means caring without controlling. Caring without controlling. Christians should be deeply caring people. We see needs, we meet them. It's what makes us different from the world is our love. We shouldn't be callous. We shouldn't be indifferent, cynical. That's not who God is. We should be invested in people's lives. Um, God is a person of action, love, thoughtfulness. But maturity means caring about people without trying to control them. You will never have a life of peace if you're trying to be in control because the idol of control lies to you. It says that if you can get everything just so, if you can get everyone doing what you think they need to do, you'll be at peace. That's a lie. For a lot of reasons that we don't have time to go into, but just trust me, it's a lie. It's not going to work. And it's usually the people we care most about that we try to control the most. Is that true? I know it is for me. We want them to make good decisions. You want them to, to, to not do something stupid. That their life wouldn't be harder than it needs to be. Please, come on, try. Well, that's good. Good desire, except you're not God. You're not. You're not in control, and if you were, their life would be a lot worse. You know you've crossed over from caring to controlling when you try to force things, guys. You're trying to force. You, there's resistance in someone, and you just... You're just powering through. 
No. I'm going to convince them. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to, rather than, okay, you pray for them. You make your case if they'll listen. You, you tell them here's why. And then you let God work so, because they have to see it. They have to see it. They have to own it. If you, try, if you just ram it through, and man, this is hard with our kids. When they start to grow up, and they're leaving the house, and they're making bad choices, and you just want them to make good choices, they have to own it, or it won't work. It, it won't really be them making that good decision. It will be you, and probably, probably they're going to resent you for it. It's just going to create problems. And you know, control can be very subtle. We're very good at this. Manipulating each other very subtly. Gaslighting. Leveraging things. Leveraging emotions to get what we want. It never makes things better in the end. You may have some short-term peace, but long-term it doesn't work because you're actually not God. You're just playing God. Trying to impose your will in a, in a place that maybe that's not God's will right now. That's hard to accept. Let's go a little deeper into the box score here. For some of you, this looks like a mental life of analyzing everything. <laughs> and I can go down this rabbit hole. Uh, you just, every conversation before and after, you are just pouring over it. You are dissecting it. You are evaluating it. You are breaking it down. It's like a, a, a complex calculus equation. Not that I could break one of those down, but I'll break down a conversation. Being really tough on yourself, some of you. Why did you say that? That was dumb. They're going to think you're a jerk. That didn't make any sense. Or you're analyzing someone else and what they said to you, and you're picking it apart. And usually it's like, again, you're hard on yourself, probably. They don't like me. What did that mean? Should you have a healthy self-awareness? Yes. It's not fun to be around someone who has no self-awareness. But listen, the Holy Spirit is very capable of bringing something to your attention. He doesn't need you as his personal analytics, behavioral scientist assistant. I don't even know if that makes sense, but it made sense in my head. He doesn't need you doing the work that God has given him to do for him. If he wants to bring a sin struggle to your mind, he's very capable of doing that. If he wants to bring some of your attention, you need to hear, he's very capable of doing that. John 14, 26, Jesus tells us, the Holy Spirit will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Do we believe that? Good. He's got it. He's got it. So you can calm your mind. You can stop analyzing your life and enjoy it. That's what God wants for you. I just feel like so many of us, if, if 
we had a, a short conversation with Jesus, it might be something like, look us in the eye and say, I've got you. Just enjoy your life in me. It's so hard, and yet it's so easy. <laughs> it's, you don't have to do anything. You just receive what's already there for you. There's no peace in analyzing that which belongs to God, the secrets of the heart, whether it's your heart or somebody else's. Third, Fleeing pride means action informed by limitations. Action informed by limitations. Won't spend much time here, but when the psalmist says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, he's not saying, I'm going to be passive and not do anything. That's not what it means. That's not what he's saying. He means, I'm not going to let myself become preoccupied with things beyond my pay grade. Things too big for me. Too much. What, what are those things? Well, we could have a long list, but let me give you a couple. One of the things is salvation. Your action should be, start by being incredibly thankful that God saved you. He didn't have to. There are many people he won't. But he saved you. Just be thankful. Just, just focus on that. Be grateful. Pour your energy into understanding the Bible and the gospel better. Share that with others. Pray for them. But you're not living within your limitations when you start asking questions like, why did God save me and not these other people? Why was this the timing? And why would He do that for them and not for me? And why, 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 why? How many angels can dance on the head of a needle? Do we need to, to ask those questions? Do we need to? You have limitations. So, yes, when it comes to salvation, there are actions, responsibilities we're called to take, but there are limitations that if we start occupying ourselves with things beyond us, it's going to harm us. God's domain, too great for you. Another thing would be a trial. Your action in a trial should be trusting, lamenting, praying, clinging to others, clinging to God's promises, waiting for His mercy more than watchmen for the morning. That's a good action. But your limitations, you bump into them when you start to try to figure out the trial. Why is this happening to me? What is God teaching me? Why now? When is it going to end? How do I get through it? How do I... How do I get done with it? Because I don't like it. It's, not, it's hard. That's God's domain. I, I, I've been in trials that <laughs> I thought were going to be over like in a week. And they took years. It wasn't healthy or helpful for me to try to figure out why. What I needed to learn is to be like a child at rest on their mother, 
trusting. And God will take us through those things to teach us because He loves us. But yes, in a trial, there are actions you are called to, but remember you have limitations. There, there are things that belong to God in His domain, and they're not for you. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed to us and to our children, yes, yes. Does God reveal things in a trial often? Yeah. Does He show you what He's teaching you often? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. But not always. Or not right away. We don't need to occupy ourselves with things too great and too marvelous. It's okay. It can be pride. And God wants to give us peace. Verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. It's a beautiful image, a beautiful picture, and it, it, it does this for me. Does it do it for you? When you read this, you just kind of feel more calm. <laughs> I do. Who is the mother in the poetry? God. The psalmist is the child who's quieting and calming his soul. But God is the mother. Because God is male and he is spoken of in the Bible in the masculine, and that is true, it would be wrong to say God is a woman. We can forget that all the wonderful nurturing qualities of women have their origin in God. They do. The Bible talks this way. God says to his people in Isaiah 49, 15, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Isaiah 66, 13, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Paul Inspired to write to the Thessalonians, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. God created us, Genesis 2, male and female, in whose image and likeness? In His. Hmm. Is God a king, a judge, a warrior? Yes, yes, amen. But he's also a tender, nurturing, gentle mother. Do you think like that about God? When you diminish, disregard, or dishonor a woman... And how God has made her, you dishonor God. This is one of the problems that we have with saying a biological man can become a woman. It dishonors the God who created Women, that's not a woman. Your biology does not lie. And there are 
very concrete differences. There are many similarities, but there are concrete differences that have their origin in God Himself. No. No. This dishonors the Creator. And surprise, surprise, it hurts people. When we think we're smarter, when we, in our pride, we can do it better, a little bit better, God. It doesn't go well. I learned reading recently that there's a hormone called oxytocin that is released in a woman's body after childbirth and during nursing. Its job is to chemically stimulate attachment, care, and nurture. Scientists call it the attachment hormone. It's real. It's physical. It happens to women when they give birth and they're holding their baby or when they're nursing, holding their baby. The body that God designed, where do you think that came from? Who, who thought of that hormone? Who created that, that chemical reaction? Yeah, he did. Do we think like that? So when we dishonor and when we diminish and when we don't think of, of women in appropriate and honoring ways, we dishonor God and we forget that it, got this, it all has its origin in God. This is his nature, friends. You know, when you are born again, when you are adopted into his family, he attaches to you. He makes a covenant with you. He makes a commitment to you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He cannot. In his constitution, he is attached. He is for you forever. He cannot leave you any more than a good mother cannot leave their baby. For you moms, you can't even imagine that. You can't fathom that. Exactly. That's who God is in Jesus Christ. The, the nurturing grace that you receive as a Christian through the Lord Jesus Christ is meant to result in peace. A child that is nurtured and loved by its parents is at peace. That's how we're meant to be. Confident of it. Now, without Jesus, why would you ever be at peace? Why would you ever be confident you're, you're, it's going to be okay? Why would you ever be confident everything's going to be all right? It's up to you, babe. Why would you be at peace? You have no reason to be. But when you become a Christian, Jesus takes ownership of your life so that your life can be in flames and your heart can be at peace. I need to say that again. Becoming a Christian means that your life can be in absolute flames. Everything is going wrong. And in here, you're at peace. Who doesn't want that? 
I do. I do for you. That's the truth. That's the miracle of knowing Jesus. In laying down his life as an act of trust to the Father, Jesus fulfilled this psalm. He fulfilled it. He filled up its meaning. John 10, 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Can you take in that humility? It is mind-blowing humility. The creator of the world, the sustainer of the world was there at the beginning. The Word lays down his life. A sheep led to the slaughter, willingly killed by guilty people for guilty people as an innocent man. Can you take that in? I can't imagine the trust, the confidence, the peace of soul it took to do that. Every moment of every day of his life, you could hear a pin drop in Jesus' soul. Even when he cried out to the Lord in Gethsemane with loud cries and tears, Father, please, if there's another way, let this cup pass. His soul was trusting. His soul rested in the Father's care and whatever the answer, I trust you. So it's possible to be lamenting, to be crying out to me, Lord, please help me. And to be in perfect peace in here. Because Jesus did it. He never went into panic mode. And if I had like one one millionth of what he dealt with, I would be in panic mode. We don't trust the Father. He did, and yet we benefit. We benefit. We get the peace. We get the hope. We get the stillness. We get the quiet because of Jesus. Because at the peak, the peak of when he should have gone into panic mode at the cross, he didn't. He laid down his life. He humbled himself like a weaned child with his father. It's amazing grace, brothers and sisters. It is amazing grace that he took what he did to give you this. Enjoy it. Receive it. That's what he wants. Of all the things I could tell you, the gospel is the, the, the chief thing that will wean you off of worry and into a life of peace. To know more deeply and deeply and deeply how much God loves you. The deeper we know him, the deeper our peace. The deeper we know the gospel, the deeper our peace. Verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. As we saw last week, the I becomes a we. God's not just going to take care of me. He's going to take care of us. Us. 
I love that our church in particular has almost 140 years of history. I love that we're rooted in that history, uh, in a culture that so often has no roots. I think it's one reason why young people are being drawn to, um, we'll just call it a little more traditional churches. Uh, I would put our church probably broadly in that category. Because they have no roots, they have no history, they don't know, and I'm really thankful that we have that. I hope we remain a a faithful, gospel-centered church until Jesus returns. Uh, God hasn't promised us that necessarily. Um, We don't know for sure. But I believe that if our hope is in the Lord and in His Word and in His Spirit, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. I see many churches, many churches whose hope has shifted from the Lord. Just take the simple verse. O Israel, hope in the Lord. I, have, I see churches shifting from a hope in the Lord to a hope in entertaining you, getting you excited, pumping you up for the next big event. We're going to do this, then we're going to do that. We're going to go here, we're going to do that. Churches bring in consultants. This, hmm. They bring in consultants and pay them to tell the church how to attract people. I'm sorry, is Jesus not attractive enough? Does he need help? I might have missed it, but I feel like we have a lot of letters in the New Testament telling the church what to do. Am I wrong? Do we really need Johnny, the church marketing guru? Here's what you got to do to get people in the door. Well, get rid of the hymns first. Stop talking about sin. Stop talking about a bloody atonement. Nobody wants to hear about that. Keep it light. Keep it happy. Keep it peppy. It's unsustainable. You know, it might work for a little bit. You get people worked up, whipped up. It's not sustainable. You might have some conversions. You might Some good things might happen, but it's not because of your frenetic activity. It's in spite of it. Because somewhere you slipped in the Bible. Somewhere someone shared the gospel, even if it was shared poorly. And the Holy Spirit worked. The truth is many churches just don't believe that God will work through ordinary people, ordinary pastors, ordinary churches, ordinary means like this. They just don't believe it. I'm not planning on going anywhere, but let me charge you, in case the Lord takes me home, keep your hope in the Lord. Please. Guys, it's the simple things. It's the simple things that have divine power. Preaching, teaching, discipling, singing, loving each other. If we do those things, we're going to have peace. Everything could be burning down around us and we can have peace. And God will work. This is the Christian life. This is what he has mapped out for you. Weaned off of frenetic activity and worry. This is what he has for our church. Weaned off of the next big program and into a life of peace 
and trust. And we know when we get to heaven, the weaning will be over. We will be weaned. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this good word, this holy word, this encouraging word. We so need to hear it. It's just amazing that this (laughs) is, I don't know, 2,500 years old and yet still so relevant because it's timeless. It's your word. And it endures forever. Teach us, Holy Spirit, how to live it. Help us to receive it with faith. In your name, Jesus, amen.